Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Howard, and welcome to the Pure Animal Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be talking to Dr. Sarah Brett about feeding for healthy skin. Sarah was born in Perth and graduated with a Bachelor of Veterinary Science from Murdoch University in 1986. She has always worked in mixed practice and has a particular passion for wildlife and exotics. Sarah employs both Eastern and Western medicine for her patients, herself and her own pets. She has been living and working in Kununurra in Northern WA for the past 28 years. And although it can be challenging, she thinks the Kimberley is the most amazing place to live. Sarah is proud to live in an amazing hand-built stone house with a huge mango orchard that she inherited from a very special friend. And she currently has two small dogs and an ancient miniature pony. Hello, Sarah, and welcome to the Pure Animal Podcast. Thank you so much for giving up time in, in your busy day to speak with us. It's my pleasure and thank you for inviting me to join you. Oh, well, I'm really excited actually to talk to you in general, but also to talk to you about living and working in Kununurra. Um, we definitely haven't had any guests from such an exotic location before, so it's a, it's a first for us, and I'm really interested to hear about what actually um, brought you to the to Kununurra region in WA, um, and actually sort of your background in general and, and what made you want to be a vet. Cool. Well, I guess to answer the first, the last part first, really, mm -hmm. Um, from when I was five, I used to tell people I was going to be a doctor. So that eventually turned out into doctor of animals because yeah. I realized that sick humans are just horrible. Gross. <laughs> um, but certainly I grew up surrounded by creatures. My mother was a volunteer at Cat Haven. So we had a cat, you know, house filled of cats and dogs and pet rats and wildlife and all sorts of things. So really the creatures have always been my passion and, yeah. and a huge part of my life. Um, when I graduated, I, I, I'm a Murdoch graduate. I'm a Perth kid. I mm -hmm. moved south for a little while before I ended up um, sort of at that point planning to venture around Australia with my then husband, which both parts of those plans, the husband and the venturing, fell apart. So <laughs> <laughs> um, basically I ended up um, in Kununurra for a three-month locum because my. my sister had moved here. And that was 28 years ago. Wow. Uh, okay. It's a it's a common story. I love your interpretation of Kununurra being exotic. Um, <laughs> it's not it's not what everybody would call it. Um, some people a little bit more godforsaken, all those sorts of things. But for me, um, I when I arrived here, truly it was like coming home. I'd heard of Kununurra once before um, I'd ever arrived here. For those that don't know, we are right on the West Australian Northern Territory border mm -hmm. um, and uh, it is a magnificent and spectacular, though very often hot, hard and challenging place. Mm, but for me, one of the beautiful things, never mind the rocks and the land here, um, part of this country that really is absolutely within my heart is the amazing Boab trees. Right. And they just have a spirit all of their own and are something that, you know, I love a lot. So, wow. yeah, my, my, um, I, I had no idea at all that I would end up here. I, I really have been very blessed and gifted since I arrived here. Um, and over the years I, I have, um, you know, my practice has become well established here in Kununurra. 
and a very dear and special friend of mine passed basically 10 years ago and he also left me an unfinished stone house and um, about 600 mango trees. So, Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's been a, a lot of stuff that wasn't in the veterinary handbook, um, but I now have, you know, all this agricultural machinery that excites me no end and I, um, you know, have spent the last few years sort of kind of coming to terms with it all and so now I include mango farmstress on yes. my self-written CV. So, wow. Yeah, it's, gosh. It's yeah, it's been an interesting journey, but yeah, um, sounds certainly it. my my passions as far as creatures and my veterinary world um, really have always extended to natural and complementary therapies. Mm-hmm. And um, personally, I have suffered a couple of injuries and illnesses that Western medicine really says. Mm, in fact, one of the my injuries was a nerve. Um, injury to my right hands Mm -hmm. and when I went to the neurologist in Perth and he knew that I was a vet the only two lines that he said to me after he diagnosed me with 75% nerve damage in my hand was that oh well you will be getting a new job won't you oh how depressing yeah it was honestly it was very depressing Mm. very challenging Um, and it has since then led me on a long path of which I'd already begun to some degree, but really exploring and very seriously employing um, complementary and natural therapies. So I'm talking um, traditional Chinese medicine, mm-hmm. um, including acupuncture, homeopathy, and I also do a lot with nutritional um, supplements and um, you know body work and things like that. So I, I do use Western therapies as well, but as I have very much discovered for myself, they are not the be-all and end-all mm-hmm. um, and certainly not in the way that Western medicine would leave us to believe, I, I feel. Mm. Um, and the fact that so many of those therapies are just damned out of hand when I know that certainly without them I would not have a functional arm and I do not say that lightly, you know. Yeah, so has, um, how is your injury recovered now? Do you have function completely normally back or...? Um, Essentially, I I had that original injury and then had a second to the same um, um, higher up and much more complex nerve injury after that, some years after that, mm-hmm. um, which has left me with a numb index finger um, and which was my great motivation to actually retire from surgery, which I never loved. Right. Um, <laughs> but uh, I did at one point subsequent to my first injury think I would never lift a hay bale or a 20 kilo mango crate or anything ever again in my life. And again, my same wonderful naturopath and acupuncturist um, literally healed my arm again and wow. through a, a multitude of things. So I, I could pretty much say that, um, you know, I, I have full function um, just with some sensory loss. That's fantastic. Mm. I just have a question about the mangoes. <laughs> What, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you do with all those mangoes if you've got 600 trees? Yeah, Are you selling them? I do sell them. Okay. Um, unfortunately, mangoes and mango seasons are very much subject subject to the vagaries of nature and storms mm-hmm. and all those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, it's also been a significant learning curve for me um, in that my dear friend that I inherited from was a Swiss bachelor and we became friends as a client through the dogs and he actually, in fact, helped me establish my clinic here. So without my dear friend Joe, there would not be a vet clinic here. But mm. the mangoes and his farming aspect, he was a fiercely independent 
fellow. And so I really was not involved in that aspect of, you know, the farm. So it has been a phenomenal learning curve. Um, and equally, if you have all day to poke around and do those things, then it's good. But when you are trying to do things on a bigger scale and have to employ people and that, it's it gets more complex. But mm. basically, I used to send sell the mango, mangoes through the markets. Mm-hmm. Now I try and market them myself so I'm not paying an agent and you know, by the time we've freighted things to Perth and bought boxes and paid packers, pickers and all that sort of stuff, it, you know, there is very little margin in it. But to be honest, I do it to honour my inheritance mm. um, and to these magnificent, I have most of the trees in the valley, they they keep smaller. But Joe, my dear Joe, let his trees flourish and they are enormous 30-year-old wow. magnificent trees. So it is, a, it is a huge project at the moment yeah. we are. Um, they're flowering and fruiting, which is a little later in the year, but every year is different. Yeah. Last year, a huge storm came through and wiped out about a third of my crop, which ended up on the ground and is just—it was like walking into a war zone the yeah, next day. Devastating. But that's what farming is all about. It that's is. That's how it rolls. So yeah. I do the best as I can, and to honour my beautiful trees and my beautiful friend that entrusted me with my home. Oh, well, it sounds like it's definitely um, the trees and the home and the legacy that he's left has definitely fallen into the right hands. So he's lucky. Thank you. Yeah, well, both of you are lucky by the sounds of it. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. <laughs> um, Sarah, so you d- you've mentioned a couple of times that you've established your own practice in Kununurra. Um, is it just you mm-hmm. working there by yourself as the vet there or is there another colleague of yours that you work with? No, I do have a second vet. For yep. many years we ran with locums because we couldn't find the right person to come join us. In fact, mm-hmm. we couldn't find really anyone interested yeah. in coming to join us permanently yeah yeah. and now this year in fact she found us not we found her she found us and I have a beautiful beautiful lady called Cassie Monaharan who is a lovely Malaysian girl and she has come to work with us full time we are hoping that she will stay for a good long time and she has moved to Kununurra with her partner who's a pilot oh wonderful Um, so that fits well into Kununurra life so I have an amazing and beautiful dedicated team of vet nurses and my lovely Cassie who's with us permanently now. So I pretty much work part-time, do farm and mangoes and, um, you know, know, some consulting. And as I said, with my injuries, I'd retired from surgery. So um, the wonderful thing is Cassie's a wonderful little surgeon and and enjoys that. So she does the surgery and, and consults and I essentially do, you know, consults management of the clinic and, and of course the mangoes. Yes, the mangoes. <laughs> um, and in the cases that you generally see, what, what are the ones that really light you up? Um, what do you really love to sort of get stuck into? Look, for me, obviously, I you know, the complementary therapies things are my passion, but yep. I do love the medicine cases, you know, helping the chronic things that so often Western medicine just doesn't, you know, enable in improvements in. Um, I do love, I do quite a bit of body work. So I combine acupuncture and in Chinese medicine, they call body work Tuina, T-U-I-N-A. So Tuina really, it's generally understood to be body work. Um, I've had a beautiful case this week who is actually a lovely border collie who belongs to our splendid chiropractor in town or one of our splendid chiropractors but it's interesting she's a people chiropractor and it's funny how people are often a little bit more hesitant to treat our own pets and Mm. sometimes I find that in my own case it's often 
harder to treat the ones that are closer to you. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, yeah, and little Millie had been quite chronically front leg lame for a while, sort of really lost her joie de vivre and not playing and whatever. Um, anyway, I've been treating her um, over the last couple of weeks and, um, yes, I just retreated her yesterday and our beautiful Sally said, oh, she is so much improved. Um, she'd done a little bit more work on her um, after my sort of recent treatment and she said, oh, she's playing again, she's smiling again, she wants to come for walks again mm. um, and that's, you know, wonderful. So those are the things that, you know, really do lift me up and improving certainly as we're talking about today. One of the big things I also find is, you know, those dogs that have had the chronically bad skin, chronic allergies. I mean, yeah. obviously we don't always turn all those things around, but very often um, with some fundamental changes, you know, we can see them improve as well. So they, yeah. they are the things that I, that I really enjoy. Oh, wonderful. Well, that's a lovely segue into um, my next question, which is, which is about skin health. Um, I know mm. that you're really passionate about the importance of nutrition for yeah. skin health. Um, yeah. So absolutely, let's dive in. So talk about, talk us through um, what you feel is, is good nutrition and how you start to implement these in the cases when, when you can start to expect to see changes and, and how you know, you know, what might be lacking from a diet. So one of my greatest teachers for learning about good nutrition, to be honest, I've very much always been sort of a a natural feeding type of person. Mm -hmm. um, but one of my own very special little friends was a, a puppy actually bred from a little stray mother dog that came into my life many years ago. And one of her daughters, Pirate, um, became my, absolutely the Thelma to my Louise. We were buddies that went everywhere. She would, in fact, over the years, fly everywhere with me as well oh, as wow. drive everywhere with me. Um, she was a very independent little soul, sort of a little small, you know, 10 kilo white fluffy with a black pirate patch and a big flaggy waggy tail. So she was pirate from the very day she was yeah. born. Um, and she was a, a fascinating character. She would, she was my education dog. She would come into communities with me and teach kids. And she was the most patient, fabulous patient. But she, over the years, um, developed some ongoing skin allergies. And sort of during her lifetime, I learned much. And one of the things that I observed was that we went traveling for what, probably one of the longest periods of time I had away, which was four weeks. And in that time, she, you know, Pirate and Sarah kind of more or less ate the, ate the same, you know. So she would have meat and veggies and things with me. Yeah. Um, you know, I've always given my dogs lots and lots of raw bones, no cooked bones, which in my eyes should never, ever be given to dogs. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, um, while I was away, her so she had chronic pruritus, so chronic itching, chronic inflammation, and quite often she was always, always my bed buddy. And quite often if she snuggled up to me in bed at night, um, she would wake me up because she was hot because she was overheating. Mm -hmm. um, so I treated her with various Western things. But in our time away um, when we were travelling and she just had raw meat and fresh food, um, her allergies disappeared. Oh, wow. And we got home and I did actually have four other dogs at that point. And <laughs> so they'd been home, you know, with um, my then partner. Um, we got home. The first night we were home, she had some dry biscuits with the other dogs and pretty much went bright red and plucked, and I mean started plucking her fur. Oh, really? So a big old light bulb came on in my brain 
and I started looking at diet. And yeah. from there I went on with her and many others to, um, you know, with lots of my um, other natural therapy study and from working with the beautiful group of holistic vets that, you know, exist in Australia to learn more and more about feeding. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we discovered was pirate was highly, and I mean highly, allergic to preservatives mm-hmm. and colourings, right. which is a classic thing that over the years many vets who choose to look in that direction have come to realise is is a very real and actual thing. Yep. So I completely removed preservatives from her diet, which generally obviously turn up in um, dry food, mm-hmm. but also in you know what we all commonly call dog logs, you know, those yes. processes. Um, yep, and certainly sausages. for myself, yep, um, certainly for myself, I noticed that if I have things with preservatives in that, um, you know, it used to really affect me. So removing preservatives and a lot of the pet food companies have done that now with, you know, some of the, you know, the processed foods and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was dramatically obvious with Pirate. And she could literally eat 10 biscuits if she went somewhere and stole them or scrounged them because she was food driven. Mm-hmm. Then she would react and often for days. So I removed preservatives and colourings completely from her diet. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was sort of the first place that I really started. Um, And then, you know, the more that I've learned as time goes on, um, I've realised that the other essential ingredients um, is that um, the requirement for fatty acids, you know, your omega-3s and your omega-6s is far higher than I think most of us realise very often over the years previously when we would look to um, reduce weight on dogs, often people would select to remove fats from Mm -hmm. the diet and then I would see these dogs that were losing weight but had terrible dry coats. Mm. Uh, So that was something that I've then very much focused on is about getting those essential fatty acids. Now, unfortunately, one of the things that I have been accused of is being extremely militant about (laughs) not feeding processed foods. And, of course, in our Western lives and lifestyles, some people make that choice and want to stay with that choice. So that's a valid, obviously, individual choice. But one of the things I do really make a point of is that people that want to feed a significant amount of processed food, if they make up the deficiency that I believe is essentially in any processed food because it has been cooked and superheated. Mm. So So even if there is fats in there, they've probably been, you know, denatured and oxidised and aren't as healthy as you might like to think. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. So essentially um, I have a number of fundamental choices that I make for increasing those fatty acids. Obviously there are very many ways and means of doing that and certainly there are many holistic vets out there who have some fabulous websites. I have a couple of friends who have fantastic resources on their websites about ways and means that you can feed naturally and sources of fats and oils and things. But my personal choices that are simple and easy, number one is eggs. Mm. Eggs are fabulous food. And in Chinese medicine, we talk about jing, which is the life force that comes with something. So, so much of our food, certainly here living in the exotics of Kununurra, foods are cold stored, transported, Mm. get here after months of storage, often partially frozen on the way, 
all those sorts of things. So their jing, their essence is is somewhat reduced. Yeah. Um, so eggs are wonderful. We haven't messed with it. And something in, in that same natural medicine thinking, something that is entire as it was made by nature, a nut, a seed, a berry, an egg, has its jing intact as best we can hope for. Yeah. So raw eggs, whether they be raw or cooked, some dogs don't like them. As we know with anybody or any human or creature, individual allergies do exist, Mm -hmm. but I find allergies to eggs seem to be very rare and generally they're well received. So Mm. adding eggs to their diet, I know there's been a great history over the years of, oh, my goodness, you feed too many eggs, you'll give your dogs a bite and deficiency because there's, a you know, something in the white that buys up bite. And honestly, personally, I would say rubbish. Yeah, I've never heard that. that. Um, but it's something that was historical thinking. Right. Um, you know, for a while they were telling us eggs were bad cholesterol as well for humans. Yes, well, of I course. just think that's rubbish. I think eggs are magic. Yeah. Um, I had a staffie myself many years ago, and when I lived down south, I had a chook pen. And every day when I walked out of my chook pen after collecting my eggs, I would accidentally drop an egg <laughs> pig. And everyone used to say, Why is your staffie got a shiny, beautiful coat and doesn't yeah. itch like half the staffies in the world? And I'd say, He has an egg a day. And everything else. Yeah, great. So, um, okay, so one a day is your recommendation? Look, I, I generally suggest that each day you provide a source of fat and oil from some origin. Mm-hmm. We essentially know that 20% or a fifth of a dog's diet should come from fat and oil. Mm. And I think realistically for all of us to achieve that is often somewhat hard. Mm. Um, so eggs is a great option. One of my other favourites is sardines. Yes, Again, definitely. they are entire. They have calcium. They have protein. They have good oils. They feed your joints. Yep. They feed your skin. And they feed your immune system. Yep, absolutely. So eggs sardines, all those sort of things are simple, basic things which are often cost-effective and available. Yeah. Obviously, some people might choose to do that in a slightly more processed form, so fish oil capsules, krill capsules, um, those type of things. Um, essentially, normal cooking oils could be used. I do choose for one of my current friends coconut oil. I find yeah. that works really well. You know, I splash that in her diet. Yep. And I have created a brew that is has been very popular and very beneficial. Um, so I'm Sarah Brett, so it's called Brett's Brew. <laughs> I love and it. It is a, it is a combination that I make and put into little pots and people buy and sometimes people buy it in bulk. Um, I've fed it to my horses. I feed it to um, my dogs. Again, some of them are fussy and won't accept it. Most of them I find that, you know, it's reasonably well received. So it's a combination that has alfalfa, mm-hmm. flax or linseed, yep. kelp, which obviously gives you some fantastic trace element and minerals as well, yep. and chia. Okay. And um, I, I had a horse, one of my horse friends who's now in spirit, but he got to me with terrible coat, terrible rain scald, and I introduced chia and linseed to his diet. And by the time he passed, quite some years later, he had a coat. He felt like one of those beautiful snuggly mink blankets. Oh, wow. You know, he was. It was a palpable difference to his coat. So, um, what sort so, of what sort of volume of chia and flax are you giving to a horse? 
Um, look, surprisingly, not as much. There's a there's a, a sort of an exponential equation in life, and one of my favourite lessons in in one of my um, biochemistry lectures or um, you know pharmacology lectures was when they were experimenting with drugs many 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 moons ago. They you know gave mouse a mouse you know a little bit of as you would of course amphetamines, but you know they're te- testing drugs on things and then they worked out the dose from a mouse mouse worth and increased it to an elephant's worth in a direct proportion and they gave the elephant the same amount of amphetamines and it trumpeted, defecated and died. Oh, no. (laughs) So the thing is that doses relate to surface area and volume. So a little mouse has, um, you know, a, a, a large surface area, you know, its surface area relates to a small volume whereas an elephant has the, you know, relatively large surface area and, and you know, not not that million times bigger volume. So quite often where we think that, you know, maybe if you have to give a spoonful to a dog, you'd give a bucket to a horse. Well, I don't. Generally, I would only, I use about, I now only have a little mini pony, not, you know, full-size horses, but he has about a third of a cup of linseed and, and chia mix in his feed each day. Okay. So it's That's not achievable. That. It's not massive quantities, absolutely not, yeah. Right. And when you're starting to introduce the fats in a diet of perhaps um, a pet that hasn't had much in there, are you wanting to do that gradually so that they don't get any sort of um, gastrointestinal adverse effects? Yeah. Anything we introduce diet-wise, be it raw food, be it supplements, be it Chinese herbs, anything we introduce, I say do a couple of days at a very small quantity couple more days at you know a half quantity and then increase it one of the things that I'm a great advocate of and so many doggies I see which is sort of a little bit not talking about skin but um dental you know and raw bones and I Mm. believe raw bones are essential for so many reasons which we'll obviously just focusing on skin things today but um when people many people tell me um, that their dogs are allergic to raw bones. And then when I question them, I find that they're a dog that pretty much entirely lives on processed food. Mm. And dogs are made, designed to have a stomach pH of about two. Okay. They're, they're, carn- they're carnivores. Cats yeah. are obligate, obligate carnivores. They yeah. must only eat meat. But dogs are designed to eat meat, bone and veggie. So if it was out in the wild and ate a rabbit, they would eat skin and fur, which is obviously fibre. Mm-hmm. Um, and some fats and oils as well. They would eat their guts, which is our equivalent of a little bit of cooked veggies, and then meat, bone, and and you know bone and muscle. Yeah. Um, yep. So, but the chewing that would obviously also clean their teeth, but you know between the the skin and the mm-hmm. bones and all those things. And that's really why dogs should be given raw bones is to clean their teeth. Mm-hmm. But when the dogs on processed food diets tend to have a stomach pH that runs about six or seven. Really? That's much different. I, Gosh. Yeah. Personally, I believe it's a huge reason for often allergies, for often sensitivities, for gastrointestinal upsets. So quite often if someone then gives that dog a big heap of raw bones, the stomach pH is not high enough to properly digest them, so they herk them up, you know, that night, that day, the next day, whatever. Yeah, yep, makes sense. So one of my great passions is to make sure that those dogs that are on a lot of processed food, I I think, 
you know, in a general statement, if your dog is having 50% processed food, 50% raw food, I think their quality of life, dental health and intestinal and skin health is going to be better. Yeah. Yep. So if you're, you know, it's often convenient in everyone's lives to have, you know, some processed food there of whatever nature. And nowadays there are ones that are preservative and colouring free. There are also ones that are carbohydrate free. Mm. And I believe that's one of the great promoters of skin allergies, of intestinal troubles, is that diet dogs are designed only for about 10% carbohydrates, not for often well, I think processed foods are 50 or 60% carbohydrate. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. A lot of the time the one of the first ingredient is a cereal grain yeah. in those foods. Yeah. Yeah. So one of my lecturers would say they're carnivores, not cornivores, you know, which is often the source of, of yes. the cover. <laughs> so, yes, to answer the question, introduce anything slowly. Mm-hmm. And people, I find, are extremely paranoid about fats and pancreatitis. Yes. Um, and, again, it's one of my big bugbears that people's dogs have had pancreatitis and then vets say, take them off fats forever. Well, again, you have shitty skin, you have shitty immune system, um, it doesn't serve your joints. Um, very often in my experience, the dogs that have had a pancreatitis attacks have had a massive unusual quantity of yeah, yeah. Well, they get into something. Um, yep, yep. So introducing any of those things slowly obviously is prudent. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we've talked a bit about the importance of fats and removing preservatives and colourings. Um, what what else do you sort of tend to recommend as a um, really important factor in a, in a healthy skin diet? So for me, my general suggestions, and I often say to people, look, this is what I do for my dogs. So mm-hmm. um, I have certainly had elderly dogs for a while. Um, so a component of my dog's diet is always cooked casseroles. So some cheap mints, a little tiny bit of rice or fibre. I often use pearl barley, which is mm-hmm. not heating, um, and some mixed veggies. So I cook that in a slow cooker. My friend Pirate, who I was speaking at about, pretty much finished her last two years of her life on cooked foods. I choose, chose meats that weren't heating, and that's kind of a whole other topic, but mm-hmm. um, a little bit of chicken or beef, um, eggs, those type of things. And I make a little bit of casserole and then I freeze it up into little sandwich bags so I had individual serves. Mm-hmm. Um, then when I feed it out, I would put the egg, the oils, the Brett's brew, the sardines, whatever that, you know, to make that fatty component. Um, cooking, home cooking meals is a very different thing to processed cooking meals, which has those massively higher temperatures. Our temperatures in the pot help to facilitate breaking down cell membranes and make things more digestible. Mm. So, yes, we would lose a little bit minerals, vitamins, um, but what we gain in making it more digestible and easier for older, you know, souls is is an advantage. So mm-hmm. my doggies have a little bit of um, casserole probably two, three days a week. They have chicken wings, beef necks, lamb shanks, some sort of, you know, raw meat and bones a couple of times a week. And I actually um, have, over the last few years, used a food called Frontier, Mm -hmm. which is a freeze-dried pellet, which is made by an amazing lady over east who sources her meat from ethical sources, um, organically grown, you know, eggs, produced eggs and veggies, and it's just dehydrated. You rehydrate it with a little bit of warm water, um, so it's a low carbohydrate, no preservative, and not superheated off option of dry food. Mm, okay, 
that's yeah. that's a nice option for those people who may not have the time or the inclination to make everything themselves. Um, and there are many options in that processed range. So it's about looking at your product um, and making, you know, informed choices. I know there's lots of the raw and the bath diets that people can get that are fresh. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, where I am, the cost of freighting those oh, things yeah. makes it impossible. Yeah. So sadly, people that move to our town that have used those things, it can be challenging. But there are those essentially healthier-based choices of processed food that you can then add, you know, your bits and pieces to. Yeah, that's good to know. Um, for someone who's perhaps not a, a veterinary practitioner, what are some of the early signs that show up in the health of the skin and the coat that might be indicative of poor nutrition? Okay. You've mentioned a few, sort of the itch and, and dryness, um, but is there any other subtle signs that people should be looking out for? Absolutely. So one of the things I very often see is, you know, these lovely doggies come in the door um, you pat them on the head and say hello and they're nice shiny soft fur around their head and their ears and then you travel down their back and by the time you get to their tail end and their bum, you've got this dry, coarse, stiff coat. They're often a bit itchy down that end. And the other thing that classically you see is dandruff. Yeah. Like poor people, flaky-ass white dandruff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now that can be all over the body. Um, it is a classic sign of, you know, what we call seborrhea um, and it's actually an imbalance of the oils and sweats on the skin. Um, oils as such, not sweats and really for doggies, but, you know, it's imbalance of those oils that then create those flakes. Mm. And for me, my line to people is saying, your dog is asking for more food for his or her skin. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, generally dogs should be soft and shiny and velvety um, I have a lot of patients that are very dedicated sardines and eggs people mm-hmm. and those dogs, you just can feel them. You know, they should have a soft, glossy, shiny coat and it's the the essential oil layer on the skin that very often is those dogs that are allergic, um, it's quite often if that oil layer on their coat is not intact and healthy, then what I say to people is that the those good oils keep the moisture and the hydration in and the bad bugs and, and the allergens out. Now, yep. you can be allergic to grass or this or that, so it's not going to stop your allergies. But if you have a healthy oil layer on your coat, you have greater chance of your preserving your skin's integrity. So yep. a dry, dandruffy, stiff, coarse, fragile coat on an itchy dog um, is classic signs to me that they are deficient in fats and oils. And when we discuss it, when people's diets, you know, when we sort of say, well, they have this and that, and we go, well, there's not a lot of fat in that. I think probably most dogs or a lot of dogs live their lives with sort of about 5% fats and oils in their diet, not 20%. Mm, That's quite a lot lower, isn't it? 5%. (laughs) It is a lot. I mean, and I, I never actually do the maths, but, you know, if a dog that has a lot of processed food, maybe chicken wings once a week, you know, and those doggies, I really believe that, you know, that, that obviously there's a lot of prescription diets and I don't want to be, you know, dissing the prescription diets. They have, you know, a lot of those fats and oils and everything added in. But I still believe if that's been cooked, it's going to be of lesser quality. Mm. So, yes, some of them do supplement them and certainly many dogs can do very well on those processed, you know, prescription diets. And I know there's many people that make that and I'm not at all implying it's not a valid choice. I just feel that the essence of those fats and oils need to be provided 
in a raw and natural state wherever possible. And even if that's sometimes a week, then that's going to make up some of the lacking in other areas. And when you've got access to, you know, tinned sardines and eggs, I mean, anyone anyone mm-hmm. can access them and they're really inexpensive. So there's sort of yep. no excuse to hide behind there. <laughs> yeah. And um, there's certainly many other products I really promote. There are um, little, you know, chewy um, treats that have those skin products added in. There is a liquid form. So obviously we all need to find a source and a way to provide those things that suits our individual pet's tastes and needs and, you know, age and lifestyle. Obviously, if you can introduce those into your puppy's diet from the get-go, then it's like feeding anybody. If that's a part of your, you know, your learning and your heritage from the start, then that makes doggies so much easier to feed, you know, as they become adults and as their calorie requirements drop, you can continue to provide those fats and oils um, and then, you know, balance your rest of your calories from other sources. Yeah. Um, and Sarah, do you actually, I mean, being sort of trained in, in traditional Chinese medicine, I'm, I'm assuming that you use quite a lot of her- herbs and other different supplements in your practice. Are you able to take Absolutely. us through some of the, the ones that you like for skin? So basically what happens with Chinese formulas is so every different pattern can, patient can have a pattern of imbalance. And in, in Chinese medicine, you can be too hot, too cold, too, too damp, too dry. So there's many different patterns. So it's not a particular skin formula as mm-hmm. such. Obviously a huge part of Chinese medicine, you know, and this is sort of the five elements where, you know, it's about your food, it's about your water, it's about your, you know, emotional health. So we try and put those things all into balance. And some of those things we will do with with formulas. Um, I believe that very often our dietary imbalances, so too much carbohydrates of the processed nature, overheat you. And very often we see dogs that we can tell from their looking at their, you know, their their pattern of symptoms that they are overheated. Mm-hmm. So in those dogs we would remove lamb and roux and things that are hot foods from their diet, replace them with cooler foods. Um, add fruits and vegetables that are cooling. So very much that is the essence of Chinese medicine is is about, you know, feeding your constitution appropriately Mm -hmm. and then also, uh, you know, improving the imbalance. If you're too hot, we would give you cooling herbs. If you're too damp, we would give you drying herbs. And those those formulas, um, I'm certainly no expert in those. Um, but there are very many in, in patterns that we see that we then treat that pattern mm-hmm. herbally. Yeah, that um, makes sense. So it's, yeah, um, and sort of one of the questions that sort of came up a little while ago is the time frame for these things. Chinese herbs will change your patterns, but that is not an overnight thing. That's a month's things of bringing things back into balance Sometimes I do still use, you know, a little bit of cortisone or some, you know, external treatments. Um, Again, there are some more appropriate um, medications in the Western world that are targeted to the skin rather Mm -hmm. than treating the body as a whole. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you need to manage symptoms and treat things in the short term. Um, So those sorts of things um, that, you know, you can treat symptoms while you're then giving Chinese herbs time to work and change patterns of imbalance, which will then improve your coat health and your general constitution as a whole. Yeah. Um, even nutritionally, 
those dry-coated dogs, I say to people it generally takes three to six months to completely refresh and rechange a coat. (laughs) And we do find that those changes start at the head end and it's a part of a homeopathic principle actually that things start at the top and work down and start from the inside and work out. So very often you can see this improving tide line of of coaches yeah, that comes, that's so back, you know, and eventually gets to the tail end. And when you know you get to the tail end, you know you've won. Yeah, right. Oh, that, that's so interesting. I hadn't heard it put like that before. I'll have to um yeah. have to keep my eye open for for the tide tide lines in different dogs yeah. as I see them. Um, yeah. Something that's sort of popped into my mind, and this may be a silly question, but living where you are, I. I'm wondering if you're more exposed to native Australian and, and Aboriginal traditional remedies and whether you have any experience in utilising any of those in your work. Look, um, the answer is kind of sort of. Um, okay. Unfortunately, a lot of culture here is disappearing with disappearing people. Mm. Um, equally, there is a lot of knowledge of native stuff um, and that I have come across um, in different ways, people said, oh, look, I've used this to treat my animal or I've used that. Unfortunately, accessing those things in quantities to use um, is is difficult. Yeah. Um, so unfortunately not, you know, we have not got that opportunity to use and, and utilise that sort of, you know, um, essential native knowledge as much as as, as we would hope. Mm. Um, equally, I'm still a great, very, very great advocate of using things that are naturally available. I mean, aloe vera, you know, mm. absolutely wonderful, cooling, soothing, those yeah. hot red ears, yep. you know, take your aloe vera, trim the yellow edges off and use the content. Yeah. Um, in one of the certainly more commercial ways, but one of my now new favourite products, it's essentially an oily, uh, oily or three oils in a base with essential oils added into it. It was originally developed for psoriasis in mm-hmm. humans and now, um, the amazing producer of it very much is promoting it for dogs and cats. I have had spectacular results with it for itchy dogs oh, and excellent. bad skins. Um, for horses with rain scald, there's a, an equine version of it as well. Um, I have a, had a painted mare who um, would get a lot of, uh, in the wet season, her nose and muzzle would be very affected. The first time I treated her and came out the next morning, I was almost like, I really can't believe my own eyes. Wow, that's great. Um, so those sorts of things, um, you know, there are some amazing natural therapies that are accessible to us now, which are, uh, you know, fundamentally wonderful products. Yeah, oh, great. Oh, well, it's, it's great that you found um, those those wonderful natural things that can help um, because mm-hmm. it is always nice to reach for those before we reach for pharmaceuticals. Absolutely, and, and I'm very much the person that mixes my metaphors. You know, sometimes you need to use, a little bit of something, but if we're using Western things for a shorter period of time while we're managing symptoms and waiting for other things to kick in, then I find a lot of people are very happy with those options yeah. these days. Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, Sarah, um, we're sort of rounding out to to time soon, but I, I've learned so much from you today and it's really nice to hear um, what you're sort of working on up there. And I feel like the, the residents of Kanana are really lucky to have someone so progressive and um, someone who's so open to all the different options out there. So um, congratulations on, on establishing um, such a great practice up in Kananara. And before we go, is there anything else that you feel like you want to share about this topic of, of feeding for healthy skin? 
Look, I just think it's something that's very underrated. I think, um, you know, it's a matter of finding whatever fits into our lifestyle. I know, um, you know, there is issues that come up for many people that choose um, to be vegetarian themselves, you know, so sometimes choosing, you know, an option that suits them for their dogs um, can be a little bit challenging. Um, but I think, you know, feeding our creatures well, it's a bit like, you know, the majority of us are choosing to, um, you know, do for ourselves is that we're trying to, you know, generally reduce and manage the amount of, of highly processed, you know, content we have and increase the natural thing. And to be honest, I think it's really quite achievable for us all. And if we, um, you know, make gradual changes of things that we, in, you know, in, in add into our pets' diets, then I really believe that it is one of the fundamental ways. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of emotional aspects to our, you know, pet dogs' lives, but I think it's a fundamental way that we can improve their physical and mental health. I mean, dogs are designed to sit down and chew a bone. It's very yeah. entertaining, yeah. you know. They scoff through their bowl of biscuits and then they're looking for more, you know, those sorts of things. So yeah. I think feeding our dogs naturally is a is fundamentally, you know, such a positive way that we can improve their overall well-being and, and, you know, for them to support them having a good and, and healthy lives. And I think it's, a you know, something that we can all have at our fingertips to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially when we've got such wonderful people educating us like you. <laughs> oh, thank you. So, well, thank you so much, Sarah. Um, I will let you get on with the rest of your day. But before we go, are you able to let us know um, where people can find you um, and more about the clinic in Kalinara? Yes, that we have at the moment. We I'm not a huge website person. Um, we have a, an incorporated body that runs, you know, as a part of the vet centre, which um, we do all the domestic and wildlife rescues up here as well. Okay. So that's Kane K A N E Kimberley Animals Nature and Education, mm -hmm. and we've just got um, you know into our uh, developing our website here. Um, but certainly I'm happy for people to contact me um, on my personal email um, if they would like advice and I do help you know many people sort of around Australia in different ways um, I've done a lot of work over the years with wildlife um, but my email is Kimberly K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y Kimberly Vet with a number four at westnet.com.au so people are welcome to email me if they have questions or I can support them with some nutrition questions for their pets. Oh, amazing. Thanks so much for sharing that, Sarah. I really appreciate it. And thank you for giving up um, part of your busy day to be with us. It's been a great conversation and a topic that I'm really interested in and I know lots of our listeners are. Um, but I'll let you get on and we'll hopefully have you back again one day. Thank you very much for your time, Sarah. Have a lovely day. This was the Pure Animal Podcast, and I'm Dr. Sarah Howard. If you enjoyed today's episode with Dr. Brett, please feel free to give us a rating and review on iTunes.